If you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, you can open it to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 this morning. I'm convinced uh, that God uses people to reach people. What I mean by that is, I'm convinced that, that God doesn't zap people like out of heaven. He could. He could have chose a lot of, chosen a lot of ways to save people and to get people the gospel and to, help, and to reach people on earth after the fall. But I'm convinced that he's chosen not to simply zap people out of heaven. Now, every now and then someone has a road of Damascus experience. Well, I guess, you know, you had Apostle Paul, right? Uh, as he's on his road and Jesus himself evangelizes Paul. But other than that, for the most part, I think he's left it to us. God uses people like you and me to reach people with the gospel. So if you're here this this morning and you're a Christian, God has blessed you to be a blessing. He's reached you to reach out. He's brought you in to send you out. And this morning is kind of serving as an introduction to a several week focus here at our church uh, as we pray and we ask God to get our eyes uh, more and more off of ourselves and onto our community, our city, and the world. I want you to imagine that you've got a friend this morning who goes, or a neighbor, and they, you, you look in their yard one day and they've bought this beautiful giant boat, right? And they pull that boat in and they pull it in the driveway and they pull it off right there in the front yard and you, you drive up and you say, man, that is a beautiful boat. When are you taking it out? Have you had it out on the water yet? When, when are you taking it out for the first time? And they say, take it out. Well, first of all, I can't even swim and I'm afraid of the water. Secondly, I don't know how to drive the thing. And I kind of just got it because I, I like boats. And it's just going to be right here. You'd think, what? How wasteful. That's what you'd think. You'd be judging them pretty hard, probably, right? I, I mean, you got so much money that you just have a boat for looks, right? I mean, you'd, 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 you'd think, how wasteful is that of your resources? And what a waste of a, of a beautiful boat. Now, I want you to know something. If you know Jesus today... If there's been a time in your life where you trusted Him, right, and He changed your life, and you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, you are a Christ follower, God has saved you for the high seas of mission. He has brought you in to send you out, right? Not to sit in the driveway and look pretty, right? Not to sit in a chair uh, once a week and, and, and sing songs and listen to messages. He has, he has saved you for the purpose to send you out on mission. Every now and then, when we're eating uh, at dinner at our house, Cannon, who we have to arm wrestle to get to eat anything other than green smoothies, I don't know, you know, I guess we shouldn't complain, right? Green smoothies. He don't know that's good for him. Don't tell him. Um, every now and then he'll, he'll because I've, for so long, I've said, man, you need to try this, buddy. And he'll, and he'll say, oh, am I missing out? <laughs> he'll say that. It's because for so long I've said, you need to try these french fries. You're really missing out. They're good. And I've said that so much now, he kind of taunts me with it. Oh, am I missing out, right? And, uh, you know, and I don't want him to miss out, right? You know, I had to force feed him chocolate one time just to get him to see that chocolate is good, right? And so that, that couldn't have been a mean thing to do. That was a loving father, right, to get him to force him to eat chocolate. Here's the thing. I don't want you to miss out. And I believe that for some of us, what's missing from the Christian life in your life, you think something's missing. Something's just not quite right. Something's just not quite connecting. And I believe for many, it's that we're not living on mission. And it's my fear that we've got many people, if we're not careful, we're going to miss out 
on one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life, and that's simply living and sharing our faith. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on that. Next Sunday, we're going to launch a new series called The Three Circles. Uh, it'll be a three-week series, getting ready for Easter, and The Three Circles is an evangelism tool that the North American Mission Board um, is encouraging all of our churches to be a part of. So we're basically doing a campaign. And so next week we'll do start a series on the three circles. And what it is, it is a meta-narrative of the Bible. The Bible's 66 books, right? Well, yes and no. It's also one book. And that one book really tells one big story. Uh, and that one big story has to do with God's creation, man's fall, and God restoring man again. And so we're going to tell that through the three circles. God's design, brokenness, and the gospel over the next three weeks. And at the end of every message, you're going to see me share the three circles with you. You're going to be learning the three circles and how to use this tool of the story to share the gospel with others. And then we have Easter coming up on April 16th. We, it's always a big focus for us with our sunrise service, our egg hunt after our 1045 service, um, obviously our most attended uh, Sunday of the year, lots of guests. And so you can be praying about over these next few weeks who God would have you to invite. And uh, we'll have invite cards that will be available for you next week uh, for you to get out to friends, family, and neighbors. And then the Sunday after Easter in our small group hour at 930, Sunday after Easter, April 20th, third, we will start three circles training in all of our Sunday school classes uh, from youth on up. So if you're youth, if you're college, if you're young adult, senior adult, median adult, I don't know, we have all these different classifications, right? No matter what class you go to, you're going to be, for six weeks, we're going to be focusing on learning how to use the three circles so that we can train others how to share their faith with this and we can do that. So a lot of reasons people might not share their faith. Lack of being equipped will no longer be an excuse for us is the goal here over the next 10 weeks. And so be with us these weeks as we focus on this and excited and we're going to pray and ask God uh, to do big things in our church and our hearts and in our lives as we begin this focus. And my question to you is simply this, why not? Right? Why not? Why would God not do something incredible and amazing for the sake of His name and for the going forth of the gospel in our spheres of influence right here at North Park? Why not us? Why not? I hear stories, I read stories of God doing incredible things in churches and on the mission field and even right here in our own city and in our own country. Why not us and why not now, right? Let's ask Him. Let's bang on the door of heaven and beseech Him and beg Him to do something like this. And we're going to begin talking about that this morning. Is something missing from your Christian life? And if it is, is it living on mission? As you look around the church today, you'll notice... I don't mean our church specifically necessary. I just mean the church in general in our country. You'll notice a lack of sharing the faith. Many people, I would dare say there's many in this room that have never shared the gospel with someone. Never. And that's got to change. That's got to change. I heard somebody say the other day, the church has tried everything in America. We've, we've, we've got smoke machines and great lights and great beautiful buildings and we've got incredible music and bands and, and we've, you know, we've got incredible technology and screens and, and we've got a bazillion Bible translations now and, and all that. We've tried everything and the one thing I don't know that we've necessarily tried is just training up an army of people to go out and share their faith with their neighbors, with their co-workers, with their, with their family members. And could it be that the secret to reaching our neighborhoods and our city is really no secret at all. Maybe it's what God's plan was from the very beginning. This morning in Matthew 9, 35-38, we get a picture of Jesus' heart for His mission. 
And we learn a lot about what needs to happen for us to be more engaged in God's mission. So look with me. Matthew 9, I'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Verses 35 through 38, I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers or the workers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When we pick up in verse 35, we see that Jesus is out just doing his ministry thing, right? Just doing what Jesus did. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the gospel found in himself. And he's healing people, right? And so, I mean, he is just out doing what Jesus did from town to town, from city to city. But as he went about spreading the good news, by, as he did miracles, as he taught the synagogues, and the, the, the big piece there you don't need to miss is proclaiming that the gospel is here, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. As he went about doing that, Jesus knew something. He realized something. If his mission, if his message, if the gospel was going to reach all the people he intended for it to reach, it was going to be more than him that needed to do it. His followers were going to need to multiply. And we see Jesus here in Matthew 10, right after this passage, he sends out the 12, right, that become the 12 apostles. Well, 11 of the 12. And then later in Luke, we read a similar passage to this where Jesus sends out 72 people. So not just, not just the ministers, not just the preachers and the, the pastors or the apostles, but then 72 after that he sends out to spread the gospel. And what we see in this passage is very clearly God wants us to be involved in his mission in a way he wants us to be involved. If nothing else, he wants us praying and he wants us going. And it's very clear. I read this passage several weeks ago in a devotional time. And I, it was very clear to me that there are very, three obvious reasons that we might not share our faith that just jumped out at me from this passage. The first one is just a lack of seeing and caring like Jesus. We don't see the lost. We don't see the unchurched. We don't see those without Christ. We don't see them like Jesus sees them. We don't feel for them like Jesus feels for them. We don't have compassionate eyes. Or another reason is we're not praying like Jesus said to pray. He actually told us to pray for people to go and share their faith. Pray for people to work in the harvest. Or we're simply not laboring or working in the field. We're not going. Right? Three basic reasons. And I'm convinced that a culture of evangelism, a culture of sharing our faith in the local church starts with prayer. Jesus seems to be pretty convinced of that here. The one thing he told them to do before he sent them out was pray. Because I believe it's in prayer that God gets our eyes off ourselves and gets it onto the needs of others. And I believe it's in prayer that God emboldens us to be able to share the gospel. And it's in prayer where God changes our heart to view people like Jesus viewed people and not like the world around us wants us to view people. So what I want us to do this morning is take this text and kind of lay it like a grid over our lives. And ask God to examine us and to change our hearts and our lives. If it's been a long time since you shared your faith... Lay this like a grid over your heart, over your life, and examine your heart and ask God to change your heart. Three areas I want us to examine. Number one, let's do an internal examination. Let's ask ourselves this question. What's my perspective? How do I see people? How do I feel about people that are not like me 
or that don't go to church with me or that I don't know if they know the Lord or not. How do I view and see people? We see Jesus comes up here and he, after preaching and teaching, he looks out and he sees the crowds, it says, right, that were just following him around from city to city. And it says he had compassion for them. As he looked out, Jesus is looking at a largely Jewish crowd at this time filled with many outcasts and those that had been hurt by a broken religious system. The religious system of Jesus' day was broken. Many of the leaders were hypocrites. They were self-righteous and self-focused. And many were taking advantage of the vulnerable. You might remember at one point that Jesus, Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus actually says that there were people that were among the religious leaders who were devouring widows' houses. They were ingratiating themselves to vulnerable widows to get them to give them their houses, right? To take over. They, they, were, they were abusing their, their office and their position in a greedy way. This is how broken the system was. So when Jesus looked out at the crowds that were following him around, he saw more than just a crowd. He saw hurting people, right? And he says, I see them as, as sheep without a shepherd. Now, the Bible uses the shepherding picture here is a messianic picture for us. All the way back in the Old Testament. Messiah would be the great shepherd. And Jesus is that chief shepherd who has come to lead God's people. But the leaders, the shepherds, the leaders of that day, the under-shepherds of God's people had failed them miserably. And so Jesus, it says, looks out with compassion. That word there means deeply moved. It's, it's, a, it's a word that means it comes from within, deep down inside, this deeply moved within when he looked at the crowd. Because he says they were harassed and helpless. That means, it literally means troubled and thrown down. It's a very violent picture of what have happened to these people. They were hurting. They were broken. They, they were messed up. But Jesus didn't just feel a certain way. We know Jesus did something about it, right? But Jesus didn't just look out and, and feel a certain way when he saw people. This is the shepherd that the Bible tells us laid down his life for the sheep. So he didn't just feel compassion. The Bible tells us Jesus would come and he would bear their iniquities, bear our iniquities, bear our sins, bear our trespasses, and endure the full brunt of the wrath of God on the cross so that people can be saved. So this is a, an active shepherd that came to lay down his life for his sheep. But see, when Jesus looks out at the crowd, he doesn't just see a physical crowd, he sees a spiritual reality. And this is where our problem begins many times. We don't look past the physical to the spiritual issues that are going on. Let me ask you, if you watch your favorite sporting event, whether it, whatever it may be, you'll notice a really good color analyst, they call them, or commentator. There's always two guys. Whether it's a football game, baseball game, basketball game, there's always at least two guys calling the game. One's the commentator, one's the analyst. The analyst is the guy, he, he's watching the game. Very, he usually has played the game or coached the game. He watches the game with different eyes than you and I watch the game, Right? When Christy and I started dating, I realized very quickly I watched Alabama football games with a different eye than she did, right? She saw men running around in funny clothes, right? Well, what's the fuss about? I'm watching with a different set of eyes. I'm noticing things she doesn't notice. And I'm telling you, and a really good analyst is noticing things I don't notice, right? They're looking at it with a different set of eyes. And I'm telling you, the Son of God, when He looks out at humanity, He has the clearest set of eyes possible. And He sees things that we don't always see like we should see. He sees with 20-20 perfect clarity. And He sees beyond the physical. And He sees the spiritual issue. And it leads Him to feel compassion for these people. You might remember one of the famous encounters Jesus had was with a guy known as the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus looks right through him and realizes he's got an idolatry problem with money and with morality. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you need to sell everything you've got and come follow me. And the guy says, I can't do that. And the Bible, and his, his face is all downcast. And he literally gets up and just walks away from Jesus. We don't know that the guy ever got saved. For all we know, he may be in hell right now as I preach. I don't know. I don't know. But I love this verse in Mark 10, 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. The all-knowing Son of God knew this guy was basically about to reject him and walked away, but he still looked at him with eyes of compassion. Looking at him, he loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. And until we learn to look at people like Jesus looks at people, love people like Jesus loves people, feel for people like Jesus feels for people, we won't take the next step that Jesus took and say, you lack one thing. You need this one thing. It's the most important thing. Before we can connect with and share the gospel with people as he did, we've got to see people like Jesus did. We need to see from his perspective. You ever seen those little cards? Or sometimes you're... Um, have the little images on them like you'll see them in movies sometimes when they're trying to find you know they'll have like a crazy person in prison and they're trying to get out on parole and you'll, they'll pull out these flashcards and they'll be like what do you see when you look at this right and you're looking at it you're watching the movie and you're like I see a butterfly and they're like knives you know or something and they're like okay 10 more years for you right you know what I'm talking about and they've got all kinds of little tests out there like that. Or I'm even reminded back um, a couple of years ago, there was a thing going around on Facebook where there was this dress. What color is the dress? Is it blue or is it yellow or something like that? It was blue, by the way. Um, but and everybody was debating what color is the dress, you know. Because you're, you're, everybody sees things differently, right? You just, we can be looking at the same thing and see something different. Our mind plays tricks on us. Who we are, how we think about things, all sorts of things shape how we view things. And so if we want to view people like Jesus did, we're going to need to be abiding in Christ for that to happen. His Word abiding in us. Us abiding in Him. Us spending time with Him. Asking Him to change us and to mold us. Because if not, right? Where we should be seeing butterflies, we'll be seeing knives. <laughs> but seriously, we'll be, we won't look at people like we should look at people. Where we should be seeing hurting people that need the love of Christ, we'll see... An enemy, an annoyance, a burden, somebody that's obnoxious, that gets on our nerves. Ask yourself, what's my perspective when I look at people? Do an internal investigation. How do I see people? When you look out at the world around you, do you see the spiritual condition? Are people just people? Or are they image bearers of God when you look at them? Do you see the spiritual carnage, the lostness around you? The Bible teaches we're all sinners separated from God, but it also teaches more than that. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, be on the screen for you, it says, talking about those who are apart from Christ, this is all of us at one point. Maybe some of us in this room this morning, it says, in their case, the God of this world, the devil, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Blinded. There's only one person that can remove that. And it's Christ. And they're blinded from seeing the gospel of the glory, of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And there's only one way that gets removed. And that's when the gospel is actually proclaimed to them. 2 Timothy 2.26. Paul tells Timothy that talking about the lost, he says that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The Bible says, apart from Christ, 
Apart from Christ, we are blinded from the beauty of the gospel. We are ensnared by the devil and held captive by him to do his will. You've got family members that those verses are 100% true about. Maybe even living in your house. You've got neighbors that live across the street from you and beside you and behind you and above you and below you or whatever that these verses are true about. You've got people you work with every day, five days a week. These verses are true about. We have people that potentially come here week in and week out that these verses are true about. And I can promise you that for every single one of us, at one time, these verses were true about us. And only in the gospel, as it's proclaimed, the good news about Jesus, as the Spirit of God moves and works, is that blinder removed and is or people released from the snare of the devil. We're in a spiritual war. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And your enemy in this war is not your neighbor. It is not the lost person who sees things different than you do. That sins differently than you do. Or did. And do. That has different political opinions than you do. We've got a deep problem if we look at people who sin differently than we do and see them as the enemy. Or that think how you solve a poverty crisis or think about how you solve a government issue differently than I do, that somehow they're the enemy. We've got, we're, we're messed up. We're not looking at people like we should if we don't see them as image bearers of God in need of the same gospel we're in need of. The tendency for us will always be to see people according to some earthly means. Political opinions, personality types, socioeconomic status. We have to see them as image bearers, blinded, ensnared, taken captive, sinners in need of a Savior, people for whom Christ died, people for, that Jesus looks at and loves and feels compassion for. Ask yourself, how do I feel about the unbelievers, the non-Christians that I work with, that I live next to? Do we see with eyes of compassion? When's the last time your neighbor's spiritual condition even crossed your mind? Do you find yourself getting more angry with non-Christians than burdened for them? Do you find yourself talking to God about them or just talking about them? Something tells me that when Jesus looked on the crowds with compassion, He didn't have a scowl. If we want to move forward toward people with the gospel, we won't do it unless we have the eyes and compassion of Christ, unless we see with eyes of compassion, do an internal examination. How is my heart towards others? Do I, do I see people the way Christ sees people? Do I feel for them the way Christ feels for them? Number two, a vertical examination. What am I praying for? What am I praying about? Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. He gives them this incredible promise. There's all these people out there that need to hear the gospel and that are going to come to faith in Christ, but the, the, the laborers are few. Therefore, Jesus' answer is, pray earnestly for God, for the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into His harvest. Notice whose harvest it is. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. God is sovereign over the harvest. God does the saving. That's the good news for you this morning in, in, sh in sharing our faith. We don't have to save anybody. We're not responsible for the results. 
We're responsible for the faithfulness to communicate the message. We're not responsible for what people do with the message of the gospel. God and God alone is sovereign over the harvest. You're not the Lord of the harvest. I'm not the Lord of the harvest. God is. The Lord Jesus is. And Jesus' answer to the lack or the problem of the lack of workers is prayer. And the reason is, he says, it's God who must send them out. He says, pray to God that He would send people out. People don't just go, they're sent. Listen, the word is a very strong word in the Greek. Our, our word doesn't really do it language, do it justice when we say sent. We think of like, you know, I, I give you this letter and say, hey, would you go take this to the mailbox for me? And you're like, okay, I've sent you with this letter. No, no, no. It literally means to thrust out or to drive out. In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus is baptized, the Bible says he's then driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil right before he begins his ministry. Do you think that's like the, the, the Spirit of God like, you know, licked a stamp and stuck it on a letter and handed it to Jesus and said, go to the woods? No, he, he drove him out into the wilderness. It's a very active picture of God's Spirit very actively involved in the life of Jesus doing something that was God's will for him at that time. And the Bible uses that same word. Same word used to drive out demons in the New Testament. To say when, that we need to pray for God to thrust people out on mission, to send people out on mission. It's an almost violent word. Because let's be honest, that's what we need most of the time. It's like a kick in the pants. I mean, that's kind of what the picture's like. It's like, get out there, right? And we need, we need God to drive us out and to drive people out on mission. One of the major reasons the work of sharing the gospel is not being done in our city, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, is prayerlessness. We have not because we ask not. Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. God has chosen in His sovereign plan to use people in prayer in His mission of advancing the gospel. He's just chosen to do it. You say, couldn't He do it another way? Yeah, but He, cho he chose to do it this way. He's chosen to actually have us pray for people to share their faith. And many times, when our churches are not sharing the faith, many times when we're not talking about Jesus like we should be and not sharing our story like we should be, it's because we're also not praying for that to happen among us. See, we tend to think of evangelistic praying as praying for lost people to be saved. And we should do that. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says, Paul tells Timothy, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in authority. He goes on down to verse 4 and says, God desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We should pray for specific people. If you know someone that's not a Christian, pray for them by name for God to save them. He's the only one that can do it. But Jesus' emphasis is actually not on that. Jesus' emphasis is on praying for the workers. It's, only prayer, it's the only prayer request Jesus gave. Think about it. Have you read the Gospels? I can't find another one. I can find other things Jesus prayed for. The only time I can look and, and see where Jesus said, I want you to please pray for this, was this. It's His one prayer request. is that God would send laborers out into the harvest. God's plan to reach the world is through His church. That's why. And I believe Jesus has us praying for workers because maybe when you pray for workers, you find out pretty quick in the prayer that many times you're the answer to the prayer. <laughs> it's kind of like you're praying for a job and the phone rings and it's a job offer and you're like, oh, well maybe that's the Lord. Well, let me tell you. When you're praying for the God to share the gospel with your neighbor and you realize you've got two feet and a voice and your heart's still beating, prayer answered! Prayer answered! 
That's why we don't pray that way. It's too... It's convicting. You get con- we get convicted by our own prayers when we start praying, not just for, oh, Joe to get saved, but for someone to share the gospel with this person. And we realize, well, I know them, and I know the gospel. I want you to imagine this right here in our church, if one of our senior adults, let's say this 85-year-old senior adult gets up and reads their Bible one morning and they're praying and they begin to pray for God to send out laborers into the harvest right here at North Park to raise up people to share their faith and to go forward with the gospel into the harvest here in Orlando and around our city. And they just begin to beseech heaven, to knock on heaven's door and to take that prayer to the Lord. And then for some strange reason, about noon that day, a college student is out at lunch and they're with a friend that they know doesn't know the Lord. And for some reason, that particular day, the boldness they have lacked is there. And they begin to share their faith. And we say coincidence. And I say, that's how it works. That is exactly how it works. We pray for God to thrust people out on mission and He does it. Let me ask you, do you think God might answer a prayer request that He commanded us to pray? (laughs) Yeah. You know, sometimes Cannon will come to me and he'll say, you know, I want to go outside and play. And I can't do that right now. I need to do this or I need to do that. Ask me again later, we'll go later. If he comes to me later and says, hey dad, can we go outside and play now? Am I all of a sudden going to be angry with him? Like, why are you asking me that? No, I'm going to be like, well, I told him to, right? I'm going to say yes because I've asked him to do that. It's my idea. And when we pray for God to send laborers into the harvest, it's God's idea. We're doing what He told us to do. We're doing what He asked us to do. It's a prayer He will answer. Listen, God answers prayer, but listen, He matches silence too. And we shouldn't be shocked if the door is not knocked on in heaven, if we don't see the windows opening up, God works through prayer. He answers this prayer. I believe that He commanded us to pray. And I'm convinced that willful disobedience to pray like Jesus says pray will kill a church and starve you spiritually and me spiritually. And I'm convinced that God's going to save His people. Can I just tell you that? His gospel's not going to fail. He's Lord of the harvest. He's going to bring it in. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about is the gospel going to get to the ends of the earth. It's going to happen. I'm, I'm not worried at all about it. That, that's how confident we can be in the mission that God's going to accomplish His purposes. But I don't want to miss out. I want to be involved. I want to be involved. Do you want to be involved or do we want to miss out? What might happen if we begin to pray for God to raise up workers in the harvest as we're training people and sharing their faith over the next several weeks? Might God raise up people in our midst to be more bold with the gospel? Might you go from being shy and unequipped to bold and equipped? From reluctant to eager? Why would we not pray for this? Examine your prayer life. What do you pray about? Of all the things we pray, do we pray for the very things that Jesus said, pray this? Or is it not even on the list? We must learn to pray on mission. Number three, let's do a horizontal examination. Am I participating in the mission? What's my perspective? Am I praying? Am I participating? See, the main problem in the text is that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So Jesus says, pray that God would send laborers. Now, how foolish would it be 
For you and I to read the passage and see the need to pray, but not the need to labor, to work, to serve, to share the gospel. To see the need to pray, but not see the need for us to be the answer to the prayer. How foolish would that be? To, go, to not see the need that we need to go and advance the gospel to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family members, to our co-workers. If you're a Christian today, if you are a Christian today, you are a Christian because of this one reason. God has been answering this prayer for 2,000 years. You did not hear the gospel without some way somebody getting it to you. Whether it was a family member, a youth pastor, a children's minister, a pastor, a, a friend at school, a, a spouse, a sibling, a Gideon putting a Bible in a drawer that you got out and read somewhere. I mean, whatever it was, however it happened, hearing a radio preacher, however it happened, somehow somebody got the gospel to you because God answers the prayer. And that's why you're saved today. Because God works through those means. Right after this passage, the very next verse, chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus calls the apostles to himself and sends them out on mission. In Luke 10, Jesus commands the same prayer. Harvest is plentiful, labors are few. Pray for the Lord to send out labors into the harvest. And then he sends out 72. Listen, this prayer request is in the Bible twice and both times it is connecting to Jesus immediately sending people out on mission. Jesus never told people to pray this that he wasn't sending out to do the work. In other words, God doesn't just call some people to pray and some people to share. It's the epitome of hypocrisy for us if we're willing to pray this, but we're completely unwilling to share our faith. This prayer should begin with, God, send me. And we can do better. I can do better. Your pastor can do better. Pray for me. I can tell you, I can do better. We need to do better. And I'm praying that God is going to thrust you, to send you and me out on mission into the field right here where we live and work and do life. That we're going to turn everyday conversations at work and at home and in our neighborhood into gospel conversations over the next several weeks. I'm praying that he's going to call people to serve in the church. I'm praying he's going to call people to be pastors, to be church planners, to be missionaries. All sorts of things. There's all kinds of different ways that God answers this prayer. Listen, I'm not just asking you to pray though. I'm urging us to go and to do what God has called me and you to do. Listen, for every Christian doing this work at the very least means living your faith and sharing the gospel at work and at home and in your neighborhood. Serving in your church, being involved in your church, living in community and serving in some capacity and giving towards God's mission through your local church. At the very least, that means that for every believer. Now for some, it might mean more. God might call you to serve in full-time ministry. He might call you to go to an unreached people group. He might call you to plant a church. He might call you to pastor. He might call you to serve in some other way, to labor in a different way. But there's some way that every single one of us answers this prayer, that fulfills the answers to this prayer. Remember the neighbor that I mentioned, the friend at the beginning with the boat in the yard with no plans for putting it in the water. At first you'd think he was silly and wasteful. But if a few years went by, you'd really think it was wasteful. What a waste, you would think. I don't want us to waste our life. I don't want years and, and years, and then all of a sudden, a couple of months turns into a year, and a year turns into a couple of years, and a couple of years turns into a decade. And a decade turns into two decades, and all of a sudden, a job, two jobs later, 
one house, different house, and, I, and we look back and we realize there's dozens of co-workers and dozens of neighbors and hundreds of people that we've been in contact with that we've never shared the gospel with and we're just simply not living on the high seas of mission. We're parked in a driveway. Would you be so bold as to pray for God to help you live a sent life over the next few weeks? To ask Him to help you to live that way, to give you a little more push, a little more thrust, a little more shove, right? Out into the mission field that you live in. we got to learn to go with the gospel. And if we get Jesus' perspective towards people, right? If we do this internally, we, we begin to see and feel how Jesus does. We begin to pray like He said pray. We begin to participate in His mission. What might God do? What might He do in your life? I can tell you, there is no more exciting thing in the Christian life to be share, than to be sharing your faith. God will never seem more real to you. The gospel will never seem more real to you. The mission will never seem more real to you than when you're literally living your faith and you're sharing the gospel with someone or you're leading someone to Christ or you're discipling someone. Will never be, it will, the Spirit of God literally begins to work through you. Why not us? Why not North Park? Why not now? If you're not a Christian this morning, we believe here at North Park that the gospel is so important that we must share it. We have a Lord that doesn't just tell us to pray to go out into the harvest, but literally who is the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep that died for the harvest, that bore our sin, that rose from the dead, that paid our debt, lived the life we can't live in our place, died the death we deserve to die in our place, and rose again. Do you know Him? You need a shepherd over your life. Somebody's ruling your life. Somebody's leading you. Might be yourself. Might be cultural whims. Might be your counsel that's around you through friends and family. Somebody's leading you. Something is your Bible. There's only one shepherd that has laid his life down for you. So the first thing I would urge you to do today, if you don't know Christ, is to come to him by faith, turning from your sin and embracing Christ as Lord and Savior. That's, that's number one. Number two, if you're a Christian here today, especially if you call North Park your home, I've got homework for you. I've got homework for you. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us have a smartphone. Right? I've got the iPhone here. I did this a couple of weeks ago with somebody else's prompting, but I have an alarm that goes off on my phone now every day at 9.38. 9.38, Matthew 9.38, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And at 9.38 a.m., every day the alarm goes off and it prompts me to make sure that I obey this verse every day. And sometimes it's inconvenient and I have to wait a minute or whatever. And sometimes it's, all I have time for is a really quick breath prayer. God, raise up laborers at North Park to go out into the harvest and to be obedient to share their faith. And would you set your smartphone, would you set your alarm to pray every day at 9.38 for the God to do that? You say, well, on Sundays, that's going to be during Sunday school. Well, imagine that. If everybody's alarm went off in Sunday school and you had to pause eight minutes into class, and most of us haven't started yet on that time, right? And we had to pray for God to send out laborers into the mission. So that's number one. Would you begin to do that? You say, for how long? I, I, Jesus didn't give me an end date on when to stop praying it. How, how long you set your alarm for is between 
you in the Lord, but I want to encourage you to do that. That's number one. Number two, would you find some way over the next week as we prepare for this next series to fast and pray? What I'm going to encourage you to do, if you're able, and everybody won't be able to do this, is to fast from one meal a day for the next week and to spend some extra time in prayer asking God to reveal you your own heart to you, to, to speak to your heart, to change your heart, and to raise up and send out laborers into the harvest field. Maybe it's lunch that you'll fast from. I don't know. It's between you and the Lord. And maybe you'll take 15 minutes and you'll be, just pray for your church and you'll pray for the harvest and you'll pray for the mission. Maybe you say, well, I can't do that. Maybe there's something else you can do. Maybe it's less TV. Maybe it's what, whatever it might be. I don't know. There's something you can do. To fa- the purpose of fasting is not to manipulate God. Like, look, God, I'm not eating. Answer. You know, that, that's not, it's not to starve God out of heaven. That's, that's not the point. It's to focus. It's to focus us. And to remind ourselves that there's something that we need more than food. Would you do that for the next week as we prepare for this series? And let's, let's see what God does. We're going to have a time now here in just a moment to respond. And I'm going to pray for us. And when, I, when we get done praying here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. If you need prayer for anything, if you've got questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we can do that now. We can do it after the service. If, you've, if you just need prayer about anything, I'll be right down here. I'd love to pray with you. Let's pray.